Today's reading is Job 22:21-30. It can be found on page 483 of the Bibles next to your seats, as well as on the screen. So this is God's word. Submit to God and be at peace with Him. In this way, prosperity will come to you. Accept instruction from His mouth and lay up His words in your heart. If you return to the Almighty, you will be restored. If you remove wickedness far from your tent and assign your nuggets to the dust, your gold of Ophir to the rocks and the ravines, then the Almighty will be your gold, the choicest silver for you. Surely then you will find delight in the Almighty and will lift up your face to God. You will pray to Him and He will hear you and you will fulfill your vows. What you decide on will be done and light will shine on your ways. When people are brought low and you say, lift them up, then he will save the downcast. He will deliver even one who is not innocent, who will be delivered through the cleanness of your hands. The word of the Lord. Our God of grace, as we open up some words from, some really ancient words from scripture, we do so in a, an odd mixture of emotions, of, of just objects in our own life, in this space. We enter into a space that is used for all kinds of different things throughout the week, a hub of arts, culture, and activism. And then for an hour on Sunday, we call this place uh, basically a sanctuary, a place where we meet you. And many of us have memories of things you've done during these hours on Sunday and have been shaped and changed and led through your mysterious presence. And so we ask once again that as we turn towards these words that we would find mysteriously that you speak through them and that, that we receive them as if you are speaking to us and we have our ears open. Because we sit here and one of the other things that's just odd is that we're, even though we have so many different encounters this week and experiences in our home and work and neighborhoods, we're all the same in that we're all more of a mess than we care to admit. And yet your story of grace tells us that we're more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever imagined. So as we sit with the, those two things, would you use them to speak to us how we need to hear and how we need to be spoken to today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, so we're, we're looking at the book of Job. This is week two. And the, the book and the story starts out with God and Satan having a conversation and um, God gives uh, Satan, it's kind of almost like a gamble. Job is, we know, going into he's listed and described as being blameless before God. Satan says, well, it's because of his prosperity. He's basically like an ancient Near Eastern billionaire. So, of course, he worships you because he has all, he has all this great stuff. 
But take away his stuff, and then take away his health, and then see if he still worships you. And God allows Satan to um, kind of proceed. And, and so that's kind of how it's set up in the beginning. All Job's stuff is taken away, and then his health is taken away, and then they sit. Job sits with three friends, uh, and then a fourth friend uh, joins in towards the end. And he's, most of the book is just this dialogue between these friends. And then God chimes in at the end. And the whole book is basically asking questions of suffering and how suffering in our lives. Things we didn't plan for, things we didn't hope for, things that we feel like we didn't deserve. What do we do? And, and what happens is the question of why starts to rise up to the surface with suffering. And other things start to come up. Basically, it starts to highlight and elevate our beliefs. What do you really believe? One mentor of mine said, you, people don't really know what they believe until they meet a problem that they can't fix. And that's what suffering does. It starts to say, well, what do you believe? And there's four responses given in the book of Job. Job's wife, we talked about last week. She says, curse God and die. And so we talked about last week, she basically says, God is a monster. And then Job's friends come in. We look at them today. Their basic response to suffering is, Job, you need to repent. You have unconfessed sin. And God knows that, and God's punishing you. And then Job's response throughout the book is, increasingly, he, he just says, I want answers from God. I'm not going to call him a monster. I'm not going to say he's punishing me, I, but I do want answers. And, and there's a sense of entitlement there. Like, I... I think I deserve at least an answer from God. And God comes in at the end as a sort of the fourth response to say all three of those initial responses are problematic. And so the book, we have said, as we started last week, the book of Job brings us into the issue of gumball machine faith. Gumball machine faith. So... And, and, it, and it's in the book, really, most of it spends time showing us what gumball machine is, faith is like and showing us its weaknesses. So you put in the, the coin, and we have a very strategically broken gumball machine here that only spits out gumballs some of the time. So will I get a gumball? I did my work. I gave my money. God, give me the gumball. And it doesn't come. Last week I had to wait four times before it didn't produce one. <laughs> but that's how it goes. I mean, that's exactly, that's a, that's a great illustration, right? So if this is what is highlighted through Job's friends. Job, the gumball didn't come out. You must have done something wrong. You didn't put in, you were putting in counterfeit money. You didn't crank hard enough. Maybe you got to hit it. You didn't do enough religious work. Let's look at, let's like, let's experience the, this uh, firsthand as I, as I'll, I'll take us through the four friends' responses. Just a sample, real quick, because most of this 40 uh, plus page, uh, 40 plus chapter book is the friends in Job's dialogue. So one of the friends' name is Eliphaz. And Eliphaz in chapter 5 verse 17 says... Blessed are those whom God corrects. So do not despise the discipline of the Almighty. 
So in there you see it, right? Job, how do you understand this suffering? How do you understand that it's all, all your wealth and all your health has been taken away? You're being disciplined. You're being corrected. Don't despise it. And then if we page forward to chapter 8, verse 4 through 6, this is Bildad. And Bildad says, When your children sinned against him, he gave them over to the penalty of their sin. Job's children have all just died. That's quite a thing to say to someone. When your children sinned against him, he gave them over to the penalty of their sin. But if you will seek God earnestly and plead with Almighty... If you are pure and upright, even now he will rouse himself on your behalf and restore you to your prosperous state. That's Bildad. And of course, each of these says many more things. I'm just giving you some samples. Chapter 11, verse 14 and 15, we have Zophar. Chapter 11, verse 14, he says, If you put away the sin that is in your hand and allow no evil to dwell in your tent... Then free of fault, you will lift up your face and stand firm and without fear. That's uh, Zophar. And then we have, um, at the end, someone jumps in who's younger and says he's waited because he wanted wisdom to speak before youth. And so he gives these big, long speeches at the end, kind of the last friend to talk. But in the end, some of what he says feels maybe a little different. But in the end, he's just digging in even harder into Job and saying... Things like he says in chapter, um, let's say chapter 36, verse 5 through 9. He says, God is mighty. 36, verse 5. God is mighty, but despises no one. He is mighty and firm in his purpose. He does not keep the wicked alive, but gives the afflicted their rights. He does not take the eyes off the righteous. He enthrones them with kings. And exalts them forever. But if people are bound in chains, held fast by cords of affliction, he tells them what they have done. That they have sinned arrogantly. He makes them listen to correction and commands them to repent of their evil. And he says, if they obey and serve him, then... They will spend the rest of their days in prosperity and their years in contentment. So with his name is Elihu, and he has the same philosophy, gumball, machine, faith. Job calls them miserable comforters. Over and over, he, he just throws it, he just complains about them. He's like, you guys, please just shut your mouths, you are not helping. They are shown to be miserable comforters, yielding pat answers that come from gumball machine faith. And friends, unfortunately, we are so prone to the same thing that I, I have to itemize the case and make the case for you against gumball machine faith. Because I, I just assume that as those words were read earlier and you, and you were hearing this, Let's say you walked in, you didn't know we were talking about Job. You don't even know what the book of Job is about. And the words that were up on the screen from one of his friends were, were spoken. And I just assume you sit here and say, oh, yes, so true, so true. Oh, yes. You need to listen to those words and follow them. You don't know as you're sitting there, I'm going to preach a sermon against those words. 
And that's just how we are. That's how we find ourselves. Oh, so good. Yes, I, I need to try harder. Maybe that thing that's going on in my life is God's punishment on me because I haven't been faithful enough. Let me, let me itemize the case against gumball machine faith. First of all, you'll get it wrong. You'll interpret things wrong. That's clear throughout the whole book of Job. Because what is one of the first things we know from verse 1 of chapter 1 in this book? That Job is blameless. As blameless as anyone can be. And in fact, as Satan and God are having this discussion about him, God, God is saying, Job's going to pass the test. So we know as we read all of this, we're the ones with the, the God's eye view of what's happening. And we know it's not because he's done something wrong. That is, we just know right away. So all of this, all of this, these huge speeches should be laughable to us. And that's what will happen if you take on double launching faith. You'll just inevitably constantly be getting it wrong. Uh, second, I got six things. Secondly, you can't explain the fact that the wicked are thriving, and sometimes those who are have um, who have evil ways, who are duplicitous, who are scheming and lying and just looking out for themselves. Sometimes you'll know people who who are are gifted with wealth and fame all their life, and all their kids are healthy, and they go all the way to the grave like this and have a huge inheritance to pass on to the next generation. Job actually says this multiple times to his friends because they're saying, hey, you know, the wicked, you know, God strikes the wicked. And Job says, what about the wicked that I see that are thriving all their life? So you can't explain that if you've got no more machine faith. Third, it's off-putting. It's off-putting to try to comfort someone with gumball machine faith. I don't know how any other way to put it. Even if somebody's in the wrong and has things going on in their life that you think need correction, if you bring them the, the comfort that Job's friends brought him, even if they need to hear it, they're not going to want to listen to you because you're not safe. It's off-putting and it's condescending. And fourth, you miss God's actual work because you, just like Job's friends, they don't seem to have any curiosity about a bigger picture. They think they know, and so you end up inevitably just missing whatever God is doing amidst the suffering. And fifth, God is serving you with gumball machine faith. Come on, God. You're supposed to give me what I want. Come on. God serves you. And something, no matter what God you believe in, something to me doesn't sit well with, a, with a setting things up that God is supposed to answer to my call and answer to my commands of what he needs to do for me. Something, no matter what, what God you might believe in, is it really a God if you're the one that gives the orders? But gumball machine faith inevitably brings you to that point. And one of the most one of the most troubling things, the last one, one of the things that you see over and over in Job's friends' comments is that you end up caring more about God's gifts than God Himself. If you want to, if if any time during the series on Job, if you end up having to ask yourself the question, do I care more about the gifts and the blessings that come to me from God? Or do I care more about God just for God? 
if you ever, through this series, or ever in your life, actually stop and consider that question, and it's no easy thing to consider, wow, but, but that, that could take you to some deep places of reflection. What am I really in this for? And that's the deep places that Job's suffering is bringing him and his wife and his friends. Gumball, machine faith. If you start to give yourself over to gumball machine faith, if you start to have this settle into your life as your way, you know, you put in your you put in your part, you put in your money, you put in your work, you put in your contribution to God, and you say, now God has to give to me, He has to produce and spit out my blessing. If you give into this, then you're always going to start to work the system. That's one of the outcomes of it. You start to, it's inevitable that if, well, it's kind of simple, I'm going to start to try to work this thing to my advantage. And you, all, you start to gravitate away, because it's so simplistic and superficial, you start to gravitate away from issues of the heart and more towards issues of superficiality that don't really matter. Religious activity. And so rather than dealing with the greed in your heart, you say, well, I'm going to work really hard at tithing exactly 10%, giving away that much of my money, then I know that I'm doing the right thing in terms of my greed generosity issue. Instead of dealing with your ego, you, you try really hard to not show your ego. Instead of really dealing with your anger, you become a, a, a you, you begin to plaster on a non-confrontational facade. Instead of actually dealing with the lust in your life, you say, well, you know, I'm not actually committing adultery, technically. Instead of devoting your, your whole self and your desires to God, you devote yourself to diligent uh, church attendance and Bible reading. Sometimes it's easier to follow some rules of obedience than it is to open yourself to God. Jesus spots this, this gumball machine faith, spots it in the Pharisees. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, this is pretty well known. When he says, he, this, is a, this is a wonderfully perplexing part of the Bible. Job is a perplexing part. Another part, chapter 23 of Matthew, where the wonderful, loving Jesus speaks out woes and curses on religious people. It's like, oh, I thought Jesus was peaceful and, and loving. Well, maybe there's some love in this, but this is what he says. Chapter 23, verse 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. Cumin? That's how you say it. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. They care more about dill than they do about the poor. <laughs> you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Nothing wrong with dill. But you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you straight out a gnat and swallow a camel. I love that. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, then the outside will also be clean. Jesus is all over the gumball machine religion. 
Pharisees who were checking off every religious rule faithfully, and yet they had begun to not care about the most important things. You know, another way, and this is pertinent in today's news with earthquakes and tsunamis taking 2,000 people's lives in Palu and with uh, you know, a hurricane smashing into the panhandle being way stronger than people thought. Jesus also confronts gumball machine faith in John chapter 9 when this happens. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him. And you can kind of insert your own you know, national disaster into this sentence in your imaginations. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Gumball machine faith. Gumball didn't come out. Person must have sinned. Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened that the works of God might be displayed in him. We don't know the reasons. And this becomes, of course, inevitable. Um, becomes the inevitable tragedy of gumball machine faith. The John 9 example where you're always having to attach blame when something bad goes wrong. When there's a natural disaster. And you have to say, who sinned? You know, a wildfire, wildfire sweeps in and takes away your home but not your neighbors. Well, what's the sin? A tsunami comes in. Hurricane. Loss of a child or spouse. Well, how are you not being obedient? How is God speaking out against the sin of this country or something like that? You know, it's a great, uh, it's a great quote in the worship guide that speaks to this. Just in case you think it's biblical to um, point out when there's a disaster in someone's life, point out that they probably sinned. This is a quote from a Bible scholar, Christopher Wright, from his book, The God... I, I think it's like the God I don't understand. I think it's don't or can't. The God I don't understand. And he writes this, Only God in his omniscience can unravel such interweavings of evil. But the point the Bible makes is that it puts the blame for suffering and evil where most of it primary, primarily belongs, ourselves. And he's just talking about, in general, what is, what is the cause of evil? The Bible says it's, it's on ourselves, the human race. But, listen to this, the Bible makes equally clear that we cannot just draw simple equations between that one person, what one person suffers, and their own personal sinfulness. And so, we need to look at how, we need to make a transition out of this. You know, I, I realize this is the second week in a row where I kind of this feeling like, man, these this sermon feels a little more negative than I'm comfortable, you know, hand, like providing to all of you. And but I realize this book is more negative than, you know, the wife is cursing God. The friends are cursing Job, basically. And Job is mad at his friends and mad at God. And then God at the end is kind of mad at them all. It's like the whole book is a, a journey where I, I, you know, I'm not doing a good job if I just put a rainbow on all of this and say, this is wonderful. So if you stick with your gumball machine faith, this is what I would say um, about the Christian, is that the hope and the joy that a Christian has will be elusive to you. 
Because it is in God's entering into injustice, eventually in Jesus, that we find our hope. It is in God's willingness to tolerate and abide the imbalance scales that he makes a way for you in all of your sinfulness to become God's child. It is in God's tolerance of the imbalance scale, and not even tolerance, jumping in and the imbalance of his perfect son getting taken to the cross and crucified and suffering on our behalf, even though he, he was better than Job. It is in God entering into that that we even get the joy and the wonder of God's grace and forgiveness and being welcomed back into the presence of God. That's what the Christian has. It's rooted in injustice. So we should know. We should spot this a mile away when this, when this kind of faith is creeping up in our lives. The Christian receives her life by God's just, just, injustice. The Christian is reconciled to God when Jesus is unjustly alienated from the Father. When Christian joy and salvation, uh, it comes through unfairness, and it is an unfairness heaped on God's own Son. And so if you can't sit, if you can't sit with or abide with the suffering that comes in your own life, will not ever meet the loving God of the Bible. If life has to be a gumball machine, God will always seem distant to you. You might, you might, with a gumball machine, the best that you can have is you can have just enough of God to keep God out of your life functionally. Some of us want that. And two other unfortunate outcomes is that when you face your own suffering, your, own, your faith will feel counterfeit. And when someone in your life is suffering... Your comfort will be inept and miserable. You won't bring them what they need. So I get the job over and over of finding out from people um, how inept churches have been for them in their own suffering, in their own struggles. Over, over and over and over, I get this picture that unfortunately churches have been um, often like Job's friends. Whether someone's suffering or not, just heaping you know, the demands and the accusations on top of people. Full of answers, lock-tight theology, mechanistic gumball religion. It makes me feel really fortunate that um, in my own story, my own um, connection to church as a child and then in formative years of high school and college, that the churches that I was able to go to didn't keep this kind of stuff on me. I feel sort of, you know, really fortunate about that. Um, and it gives me hope that at City Life, at least, it's not impossible to say we can set our eyes on being a community of true comfort. We can set our eyes on being a different kind of presence for your friends, for you, for your coworkers, for your family. You have people in your life right now who are in great need of comfort. And um, what they don't need is pat religious answers. What they don't need is lock-tight mechanistic theology. And so I wonder if we can be a community of a deeper trust for people when pat answers fail and when human explanations reach the end of their limits. Be a community of co-sufferers because we have at the center of our worship, we have at the center of this table, 
our co-sufferer who we worship. So let your desk at work, at work be that kind of place, that kind of safe realm of comfort. Let your kitchen be a realm of comfort. Let your, your front porch, your car, let your family gatherings be places of comfort. Let your community pod, let this church be a place where you root your hope in the unfairness of the gospel, you need, you need an unfairness to be there for you to be God's child. Transcend the pat answers and let's be a community of hope. Let's pray. Our God of grace, thank you for a book that is so much the words we don't want to hear. And it is the mood that we don't want to sit in for a month. Thank you for giving us what we need, even though we wouldn't ask for it. And may you open our ears and send your spirit that we might learn what you are wanting us to learn, that we might transform how you want us to transform through these, these weeks as we listen to the book of Job. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.